You are listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation. We're going to be beginning this morning in Romans 6. So if you would like to turn back to Romans 6, we'll take off at that place. And I trust that I am not uh, being a bad influence on the congregation. When I was a young man, someone encouraged me to write in my Bible. That was a long time ago. And there's a lot written in the Bible since then. But that was one of the best suggestions that I think I ever was given. Because when you mark things and you write down things, you're able to come back to those things and then you're able to use them later. So I would encourage you as we're using the PowerPoint, when we do use the PowerPoint, uh, that you wouldn't just uh, read those verses that are on the screen, but that you would take time to look up the verse. It'll be up there a little while longer. Take time to look up the verse and then mark it in the Scripture. It might just be one that you need to come back to even next week. Now, we have been uh, studying since November a series of lessons from the studies in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Romans 6 there, we've talked about being set free from sin and no longer under sin's bondage. Uh, This book is an excellent one to own in your family. It's one of the classics, I believe, in Christian literature. So there was such a good outline there in chapter 9 of the book that that is what we've been following and we come down to the end of that today. Let's go back and read again from Romans 6 and verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I ask you the question today, are you free in Christ? Are you free in Christ? If, if you are, then your heart should be filled with joy and gladness. And if it's not filled with joy and gladness, then there might be something that the enemy of our souls would be seeking to use to rob you of that joy or gladness. It could be some anxious thought. It could be some fiery trial that God has sent for your testing. It could be some besetting, recurring sin. But whatever it is, praise the Lord today, you can be set free because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And that's the reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin that we might serve Him, that we might worship Him, that we might relay that good news to others across the globe who do not know that they can be set free from whatever it is they're searching for that would bring fulfillment and meaning in life. Now, I wish I could say we're set free from the effects of sin in all the cosmos and all the universe. That's coming one day, but right now, we personally can be set free from the effects of sin in our lives to the extent that we're willing to allow Christ full control, full direction, to us as we walk through this life. Now, there were some things that we have learned thus far that came as a result of sin. And the first thing, this is a review, first thing was that man's tendency after the fall was for his feelings 
to rule over his thinking. Now, I don't want anyone to think that I am against emotions. Emotions are a wonderful thing and a great reward for good behavior. Because when you do the right thing, you feel much better about it. And there are times when emotions can help us to express our sadness or help us to express our elation. There are certainly times to be dancing on the dining room table with the tambourine, just celebrating, whatever it may be. But here's the thing. You want to be careful that whatever the object of your celebration is doesn't become the focal point of your life that would draw you away from the Lord. Now, if it's drawing you closer to the Lord, that is a real good thing. But if it's taking the focus of your attention, if your heart is turned toward whatever that may be, uh, then that would be something that we have to watch out for because that's where discouragement comes. Uh, that's where some of the negative things can come in. Praise the Lord, I no longer have to be ruled by my emotions. I can be ruled by a sound mind under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're given that in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, not just the emotion of love, agape love is what we're talking about here, and of a sound mind. Fear would be one emotion that can be debilitating to us. Notice he didn't say, he has not given us the spirit of lust or anger or pride or whatever it may be. You could substitute those other things. He's given us not all that, but what? A sound mind and a spirit of power and something that we may use under the direction of the Holy Spirit to make decisions that are going to carry us closer to the Lord and to His kingdom service than taking us further away from Him and discouraging us. Here's another verse. Romans 8, 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what if that thing that you did fear became a present reality and it did happen? Then you still don't have to be discouraged because you know, as we have studied, that God has a purpose in that and He is working His purpose in our lives for our good and for His glory. Now, it may not always feel good because Scripture says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, looking back, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I can have it in my life and not accept it, and in my emotions rebel against it. But if I'm allowing myself to be trained by those things and circumstances and people and whatever there may be the Lord wants to use, then I'm going to be closer to Him. I'm going to be stronger spiritually and more mature later on. Perhaps it's something that I wanted very badly and I became fearful that I would not get it. Perhaps it was a good desire. 
Well, because of what Christ has done on the cross, now I can wait upon Him and be of good courage and know that He will strengthen my heart instead of rushing out to get it the best way I can. We call it the got-to-haves. We don't have to have the got-to-haves. We can wait upon the Lord to provide whatever it is, maybe a good desire that I want, or we can wait on Him to show why He has not provided that desire. Either way, I can work through my mind under the control of the Spirit, and I can at least see in the Scripture what God is saying. I may not understand it. I may not know why He's doing what He's doing in my life, but I can trust Him and lean not to my own understanding. We'll look at that one again. Now, let's come down to the second effect of sin. There's the first. The emotions begin to rule over the thinking. And probably that's the case in most of our culture. Uh, Follow your feelings. If it feels good, do it, whatever it might be. That's the first problem. Now we come to the second effect of sin personally, and it is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness, it causes the mind to arrive at wrong conclusions. And sometimes those conclusions are directly the opposite of the truth. We have described that before, Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. The effect of that is described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Some people just don't get it when you're talking about the need for your sins being forgiven and a personal relationship with Christ. That's the reason we pray that the light would come on in their lives. And the more things we share with them, the more of the light they may have when they finally see the light coming on. So that doesn't mean that we just wait for God to turn on the light. That means that we're active, telling them things they need to know, sharing with them things out of our own lives. There's nothing as exciting as a testimony of a changed life in little things or in much greater things. Can this blindness of the mind happen to believers? Yes, it certainly can. This is all review if you've been here. You remember what we said, it certainly happened to the strongest man who ever lived. It happened to the most spiritual man who ever lived. It happened to the wisest man who ever lived. And we see Samson and David and Solomon and the consequences that they suffered as a result of the blindness in their lives. Were all those guys Christians, believers? I don't know. That would be a difficult question to answer. We don't have to worry about what's going on inside a person's heart. God can know about that. What we have to try to do is help them deal with the fruit that comes out of their lives. Have you repented of your sin? Is there the fruit of repentance? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? That's what we want to encourage people with. Now, there were three effects of this blindness to the mind. And let's review those things. The first was the mind is blinded to things that are obvious. We live in a cause and effect world. 
If you see a car parked in the parking lot out in front, you know something. Somebody drove that car in and parked it there. Or if it were like some of my cars, it might have had to be towed in. But you know that somehow someone brought that car to the parking lot. It didn't just appear there out of nowhere. And if you kick it back a little further, somebody had to build that car before someone could drive it anywhere and drive it here to church. And yet we are told, I think because of the blindness of the mind, that today we live in a universe that came out of nowhere <clears throat> Excuse me. by chance. It came out of nowhere by chance. And there are many variations of that theme, but that is what we believe intellectually, I think because of the blindness of the mind. The second difficulty is a distortion in values. You can think of people who want to have more money at the loss of relationships. And so they sacrifice time and family and everything to get how much more money? I don't know. But when you think about the value of relationships, and usually there comes a place where the money doesn't mean that much. I wish I could have the relationship. A distortion of values. You see some distortion of values sometimes on the university campus. Rational thinking is a very valuable thing on the university campus. By denying God, I become rational. That's the equation. And since rational thinking is the thing of value, then you can put away all those Sunday school fairy tales when you get to the university because we think rationally here. Scripture says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's a blindness to things that are obvious. It's a blindness to things that gives you a distortion of values. And then a the third part of that blindness. Blindness produces an inclination to compromise. Paul asked the question, what fellowship, what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? And a lot of times we want to just blend everything together and call it all good and sometimes even call it holy. It's just kind of blended together. It's a compromise. Now, we're not talking about all the specifics of that. We might have a message on that sometime. But if my mind is under the power of the Holy Spirit, He will help me to discern what is good, what is best, what is mediocre, and what is dangerous and destructive. So that's the third thing, an inclination to compromise. Now we come to the third overall effect of sin, the life of man. We've had the emotions uh, ruling over the mind. We've had blindness uh, to things. Now we see that sin makes man a slave of things that were meant to serve him. How could that be? The Bible tells us that God is the giver of every good gift. He gives us all kinds of things, spiritual blessing in Christ. We've had His mercy, His grace, His sanctification, His goodness poured out upon us, the body of Christ, all of these provisions that God has made. But He also gives us 
houses and lands and husbands and wives and automobiles to get around in and a bank account or a job. He gives us all kinds of things. But when those things become the focal point of our attention, then we get things kind of turned around a little bit. And if we really get into it, then we may kind of shift off of the Lord and begin looking at those things to do what only God can do. Only God can give you true fulfillment in life. Only God can give you a purpose worth getting up out of bed for in the morning. Only God can give you real meaning in your life as you love Him and love others. But look in our culture. What all we seek to try to find that fulfillment. And it doesn't seem to be working too well. Oh, you can find some excitement, all right. But in the end, you're left with emptiness. God tells us in 1 Timothy 6.17 that He has given us all these things to enjoy. All these good things. He didn't give us evil things to enjoy. A man takes the good and kind of distorts it into the bad. But God intends for these things to be useful in our lives, in the service of His kingdom, and to bring joy to our hearts. Only will we enjoy those things if we have a right perspective of God. I mean, you may really love your new car right now, but wait till somebody puts a big scratch down the side of it, or they total it out. Then things change. We need another car at that time. Here's the diabolical turn of events with regard to this one. Because of sin, we begin to worship and serve those things instead of those things serving us. Now, we never bow down to a house, a car, a boat, anything like that. But it's pretty easy for that to capture the focus of your heart. And every time you find yourself thinking about something, you're thinking about whatever it may be. Fill in the blank with anything except God. But because of Christ's death on the cross, I no longer have to be a slave to things that were intended to serve me. Now we come to the uh, last one. Uh, before we do, John eight thirty six. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And if you're free indeed, you're free to enjoy the things that God has given us for our enjoyment. Now the fourth and final effect of sin that we'll consider in this series, and maybe many others, but we were looking at some as outlined in the book there. All these individual consequences are contrived to work together to produce one last outcome. And it is the final ruination of man. That's Martin Lloyd-Jones' word. The ruination of man. Because the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So do you see what we're saying here? All of these effects of sin that we have looked at come together to bring us down finally to destruction because that is the goal of our enemy. Now the devil hates God in his very being. 
The devil would like to be God. He would like to displace God and set his throne above the stars of heaven and so forth. But he can't do that because he is a created being. He's one of the fallen angels. God is the sovereign God. Nobody's going to displace God. Well, if the devil couldn't take God's place, then maybe he could get back at God by destroying the epitome, the high point of God's creation, which was man created in God's image. So we have the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden. And I can imagine that the devil was really rejoicing in that one. But lo and behold, we have a second Adam coming down the pike, the seed of woman. And when the second Adam gets here, then Satan is a defeated foe at the cross. That's the reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christ has won the victory. But the enemy wants to take with him everybody going down that he possibly can. God is patient and God is waiting for his time that His mercy and His patience might bring us to repentance. Anyone here need that repentance this morning? Certainly we all need repentance, but I'm thinking about coming to Christ to ask Him for that filling of His Spirit initially and forgiveness of sin. Now, here's the way this thing works. If the devil can get you to invest all of your life in laying up treasure upon the earth, then when you get down to the last day on this planet, you look and what do you see? Well, you look back at a lot of misplaced investments because when you come down to the end of your life, it's just your naked soul standing before the eternal Holy God. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now we can cut grass for Christ. We can be in business for Christ. We can do all kind of things for Christ. But you've got to be doing it for Christ. Because if you come down to the end and find out that you haven't really invested anything in Christ's kingdom, then you're probably not in Christ's kingdom. Remember, we studied in Matthew 7, the religious people who would come to Christ on that last day and say, Lord, we did all these things. And he would say, depart from me. I never knew you. Religious deeds were not enough. It's knowing the Lord and having fellowship with Him and having His Holy Spirit living through us. There's an excellent example of this in Scripture. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And we're going to condense the story. Verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. You remember Lazarus died and then the rich man died. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw, what did he see? Well, in the parable, he saw Abraham and Lazarus and a great gulf. And they couldn't help him. And he couldn't send anybody back to tell his brothers. 
If they wouldn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't listen to somebody coming back from the dead. He saw that in the vision, but what do you think he saw in his heart, in his mind? Oh, all of those wasted religious deeds. I'm sure he was a great guy in the community and gave alms. In fact, he used to toot a little trumpet when they got ready to give some alms so everybody would know and everybody would say, praise the Lord, so-and-so is giving some alms to the poor here. He probably did those kinds of things, but now it doesn't count for anything. What a tragic, tragic thought. He's come down to the end and there is nothing left. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Here's how Dr. Lloyd-Jones puts that. There's nothing, nothing worse than that to discover at the end that the very thing to which you pinned your faith is the one thing that let you down. End of quote. At that time, you realize that perhaps you made some investments in religion, but not Christ's kingdom. You're alienated then from everything that is good and true and right. You're a stranger to the promises of Scripture. You have no hope and are without God in the world. You have all eternity then to regret your failure to do the right thing while you were on earth. The opportunity was given over and over. Perhaps it certainly was in that day. You are under the wrath of God. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now that's the bad news. The good news is, you don't have to worry about any of that. You can be free from anxiety about the future, regrets about the past, whatever it may be. If you're willing to come to Christ, acknowledge your need for Him, Turn to Him, commit your life to Him, and live for Him. And if you have done that, make sure that the life you're living doesn't look like the life the world is living in those ways that would contradict. Now, before we get to the Lord's Supper, I want to take about one minute more to remind you of the enemy strategy. Here's the enemy strategy. Have you ever been deep sea fishing? If you go deep sea fishing, they probably first put out a trawl net or either go down to the bait shop and get what they need. But they put out the trawl net, and I used to be amazed. I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi. And we went deep sea fishing with the family and with other folks, and oh, it was amazing. Because when they pull up that trawl net, there would be creatures that you never knew existed on the deck of that boat. But then you get all those little creatures, there'd be some squid and some shrimp and some minnows and all kind of little fish that I couldn't name. And you scoop those up in buckets and then you dump them overboard and that's the chum. You got to chum them before you get the big ones to come in. So you get this one little spot and you're kind of trolling in a circle and all the chum is out there. And then the medium-sized fish come to eat the chum. I mean, they're good delicacies all over the place. And then the big boys come in to get the medium-sized fish, but one 
of those medium-sized fish has a hook in it. And the hook is attached to a line. And when he, in a feeding frenzy, see, they're not even thinking about anything like that, he hits that fish with a hook in it, and then he is hooked. And he's going to be hanging on somebody's wall pretty soon. Well, that's the way you do it in fishing, and that's the way the enemy likes to do it. He gives you a little chum. Now, the chum may start off to be something pretty good. We all enjoy a good movie. But then he'll bring you another one, and another one, and another, and another, and another. And pretty soon, you're just kind of into good movies. You know what I mean? I don't want you to think I'm saying you shouldn't watch a movie. There are lots of good movies. But when he can get you hooked on movies, pretty soon you run out of good ones, and then you begin to compromise a little bit maybe. Well, it only had Lord's name three times, and we turned it down on those parts. You know, there are all kinds of devices to do those things now. Watch out for the worldview. But see, when you get hooked, then it kind of moves you away from the study of God's Word, prayer, ministry to those who really need ministry. That kind of moves you away from God Himself. You have been chummed. Now, what if you got down to your last day on this planet and you knew that you were stepping on out of here and you look back at your life and all your investments were in chum? Wouldn't that be something tragic? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. The good news is Christ died on the cross so that we could be free to enjoy the best of life. And of course, the best of life is our relationship and fellowship with Him. And then the fellowship with others in His body that comes from that. And then getting to know those outside the body of Christ taking the good news to them and watching the exciting process of God bringing them in to the fellowship. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what is the most dangerous thing that you can do? Trust in your own mind or your own heart, as it were. If you're a young person here today, do not let yourself think like a non-Christian. Or perhaps do not think at all. That'd be pretty bad too. A non-Christian can't see it. He's reasoning differently through the blindness of his mind. He's trusting in his understanding. A couple of verses to mark in your Scriptures. Proverbs 28, 26. If you're under 25 years of age, you better mark that verse. If you're 26 and over, you might want to mark that verse in, in your Scripture. He is a fool who trusts in his own heart, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. And then that very well-known verse that we've already alluded to, Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Well, let's take a moment to think about things. We invite everyone to participate in the Lord's Supper, all, all who profess true faith in Christ, who are communicants in good standing in an evangelical church, and who are not in rebellion against God 
through some continual practice of sin that's an ongoing lifestyle in your life. Uh, You may have something you're struggling with and you're struggling with it, but if you're just openly living in some sin that you just don't care about, then it would be dangerous to take the Lord's Supper unworthily. But I want to take a time of silent meditation before we pass out the elements. And in the quietness of your own heart, let's just come before the Lord and let's ask Him if there's anything that would be grieving His Spirit. If there's anything in our lives that would have quenched the Spirit. Maybe I've kind of drifted away to some of that treasure. And I know I'm a believer, but it's just kind of taken away some of my heart and I need to get it back. We all stumble in sin. And we confess those sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. But if I'm hanging on to something I know is sin and it just keeps on going, I put myself in a rather dangerous predicament. If you have something like that, get some help with it. Uh, Come after the service, talk to someone. So let's take this time of silent meditation and let's pray before the Lord. And then uh, in just a moment, I will pray for us and we'll pass out the elements. Shall we pray silently? You have been listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation.